Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today we've got a couple of special guests who've been on before, Lloyd Capuccio and Kevin Liddell. And today we're going to talk about aged meat, how to do it, why we do it, and all that. I'll be right back with Kevin and Lloyd, we're going to talk about aged meat. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling. Hey all, I want to welcome back Inkbird Products as a sponsor of the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Inkbird makes many great different temperature controllers, thermometers, uh, all kinds of time and temp controllers. But one of the best things that they make is their new sous vide circulator. That includes Wi-Fi, 1,000 watts of power, and super quiet at a really affordable price. It's one of my top picks for a budget sous vide circulator for people who are just getting started. Make sure you check it out in the link below. Check out Inkbird. Welcome back, Inkbird Products, to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host, of course, and... Today, I'm welcoming back a couple of guests that have been on before and a couple of my buddies that we like to talk about things that probably most of you guys don't talk about on your own. That's Kevin uh, Liddell and Lloyd Capuccio. They are uh, my friends from the Sous Vide Summit. We kind of kick around on the Sous Vide groups and talk about a lot of stuff. So welcome back, Kevin. Welcome back, Lloyd. Thank you. And Lloyd, let's uh, talk about you again. Uh, Thanks. Who, who are you? Um, let's see. I'm a 55. Yeah, I'm a kosher dosher. Been retired a couple of years from my air traffic control. I'm a foodie at heart. Been cooking since I'm like 10, 11 years old and never stopped. And Kevin, who are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, from Northern central Pennsylvania. I've been cooking professionally for 25 plus years. Uh, and I've been into sous vide for a few years and having fun with it. And, uh, I'm also a professional fly fishing guide and uh, fly casting instructor. Wow. I'm none of those. And you all know me. I just like to cook and eat and play around with uh, sous vide and barbecue and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about today a different something a little different. We're not going to talk about sous vide or barbecue, but um, with this, you can sous vide it and barbecue it. And we're going to talk about aging meat not just beef, but all kinds of meat. We're going to start out with beef. Um, let's just start about, talk about the aging process and why, why it gets done. Um, uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there that if they've been to a high-end steakhouse restaurant, you know, they always hear the buzzword, you know, dry aged beef. And probably a lot of them don't understand what it is or what, you know, what it does or why it's good or why it's, bad but i also want to talk about the other aging uh which is wet aging which people probably eat more of that than they even know about so um and of course you know we'll talk about some other things as well some of the other weird things that are out there some uh, gimmicky stuff that that's been going on and we're going to talk about things that maybe people didn't realize you know you could dry age so but um, let's talk about beef first and um Lloyd, I know you've done some experiments. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. <laughs> with Because uh, <clears throat> I, I want to talk about not just regular aging or wet aging, dry aging, but I want to talk about faux aging, which I know you've done some of that stuff. 
So we're talking the uh, fish sauce, <clears throat> right? Specifically, right? So okay. let's let's start out with you, Lloyd, because you got all that meat behind you and your uh, you know avatar there. <laughs> so, oh yeah. What so what started getting into? Well, let's I'm talk sorry, about man. let's let's talk about why 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 aging is important, Even wet aging or dry aging. What actually it does and. Um, if you want to start with just wet aging, we can do that and just uh, talk about wh why. Is you want to aging... go from like wet, dry to faux? Yeah, we could do that. I mean, okay. Or just talk on a why do why do we age meat in the first place? Tenderization and flavor, intense beef flavor. That, that's I'm... why I do it. Now I know I'm, I'm actually getting ready to have a whole cow processed, and it'll probably be ready sometime middle of next month. So I know like the first few days, the, the reason you're aging it, you don't just slaughter it that day and then cut it up and start eating it. And it's because of rigor. So, but most of the time, you know, if you buy meat in a store, it's been at least hung after it's slaughtered for at least a, a week or so, right? Uh, I've heard between a week and 30 days and Costco, um, although you're buying prime sometimes they're slaughtered and within two to three days they're in packages and they're put on the shelves that's why they do a lot of uh, uh jacquard mechanical tenderization because they know their meat's not tender right yeah and yeah. i've heard the same thing too and mm -hmm. people have asked this in the forums a lot because you know when they go to costco and they buy these beautiful looking ribeye steaks and it's got that big warning label on there you know, cook them to 165 degrees, people go, what? I don't want to eat a well-done steak. And, you know, it is because they, they don't they don't hang the beef for long at all. They hang it just enough for the rigor to be gone, and and um, then they package it up and, and ship it out. And that's one of the things I do when I buy any kind of meat from Costco. I don't buy the cut steaks. I'll buy the primals, the subprimals. The, uh, and the cryovac. And the cryovac, and I'll stick them in my outside refrigerator for at least a week before I even cut into them and start making steaks out of them. So let's talk about wet aging since I, you brought I, that up. I thought up. I was the only one that did that, that did that too. No, I do that all the time. I mean, and um, uh, let's talk about what wet, what wet aging is because a lot of people probably, they've heard dry aging all the time because actually, you know, back, you know, in the old days, that's all they did is dry age. Everything was dry aged. Everything was hung, you know, for weeks or months at a time, yeah. you know, before, before we, we got into this big commodity, you know, boxed beef stuff, you know, now we have wet aging. So let's talk about that, Kevin, what's wet aging? Wet aging is basically taking uh, cuts of meat and put them in a plastic bag and vacuum sealing them. Uh, and what it does is it, it has the same sort of enzy enzymatic reactions that you get in dry aging, but you don't get the moisture loss. Uh, so it does tenderize it, but it doesn't increase or intensify the flavor by reducing the amount of moisture. Uh, you know, water doesn't have any flavor. So the less water you get, you have in the product, the more you're going to taste the product. Um, so while it's in a bag, it's not going to lose any moisture. It, it, you'll actually find, you'll find that some myoglobin will come out while they're in the bag. Um, but you don't get a lot of the uh, reactions within, a, within an environment because it's in its own environment. So there's no reaction like it would have in a dry aging room and that sort of thing. Uh, so wet aging is, is definitely beneficial, but it doesn't have the qualities that, that people look for when they do dry aging. Now I've heard, and I've never really experienced, but because I guess I've never had 
gone very long when I do wet age. It's you, I do it a week or two. You know, I don't do it much longer than that. Even if I have it in there, I'll take it out, process it, you know, cut it up into steaks, then vacuum seal it and freeze it, you know, before I, you know, I won't let it sit there for 30 or 40 days, which from what I hear with wet aging, it'll get more of a, a metallic-y type taste to it because the myoglobin is still in there and it's affecting uh, the taste of the, the meat that way. Have you heard that too, Lloyd? I have. And also the downside to wet aging, not that there's a downside, um, you're not getting the good bacteria called, I think it's called thandium, to uh, multiply on the outside that penetrates into the meat to give you that funk flavor, that kind of aged cheese uh, flavor you get with uh, dry aged meat. So wet aging makes it more tender, but there's no funk taste. There's no, um, there's no intensity, in, in my opinion, because it doesn't undergo any kind of moisture loss. So for wet aging, though, you know, people can do that pretty easy. They can just buy mm -hmm. a subprimal at Costco or the grocery store, you know, the big, you know, the full ribeye or the, you know, big chunk of sirloin, usually any kind of, like even a prime rib roast, they could actually just leave it in the cryo pack and let it sit in the refrigerator for a, a week or so. And they can wet age on their own pretty easy. Now, when it comes to dry aging, people get a little scared and they, they're really not as familiar with it. They, they've heard the term and they'll eat it at a restaurant, but they're, you know, as far as telling people they can do it at home, um, they're, they're kind of, scared but there are some ways you can do that now that we'll kind of talk about but since you touched on it the difference between wet aging and dry aging dry aging actually will release some of the moisture from the meat which um, affects the flavors what what are some of the things that affect the flavors besides just the mold and stuff what what, what makes it um, the, the taste difference so much different than wet age Kevin you go ahead there. Well, I, actually, a big part of it are the mold, the molds, and the yeasts. Um, there, there are three, there are two major molds that you get that add quite a bit of, of flavor to dry aged meat. Uh, Penicillium nalgiovense is the like a white powder you'll sometimes find on the outside of dry aged dry aged meat. Uh, if you think about uh, like salamis, dried salamis, they have that white powder all on the outside of them. That's that. That's the the mold penicillin nalgiovense. Another one, uh, Lloyd was talking about the. You get sort of the funky blue cheese smell people talk about, and it gets greater as, the steak, as as the age gets older, and that's created by Penicillium roqueforti, which is the the mold that's responsible for blue cheese. It's the exact same. It's the exact same mold, and that's why you get that blue cheese flavor. That it's, it's there's a scientific basis for why you get that blue cheese yeah. well, that's why it's called roquefort some places roquefort is the, yes yeah. italian blue cheese uh and then there's a yeast that's common called saccharomyces cerevisiae and that's used quite often in brewing beer uh and that gives a bit of flavor to it as well um it, it's basically the mold um, on the outside it's, it's, one, it's one of them some say it's controlled spoilage you're, you're kind of breaking up a little bit, Kevin. So. Bad internet. Yeah, that's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. But right. We're going to talk about a little bit too. Now, how much effect on the flavor does the losing of the moisture and concentrating of the, of the flavors that are already in there have to do with it, Lloyd? It intensifies the flavor. Uh, it's like I can talk about, let's say, chicken. 
everybody's brine chicken, correct? Poultry, Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, and you contrast that, let's say, with dry brining. Well, with wet brining, you actually kind of dilute the flavor. So it's, it appears more moist, but you're eating it, but you get that diluted chicken flavor or poultry flavor. Whereas if you dry brine, you actually lose some moisture and intensifies the flavor. It's the same thing with beef. <clears throat> beef is very, very wet, very uh, moisture. If you lose a percentage of the moisture content, it intensifies that beef flavor. And that's what I want. So that's why I prefer yeah. dry age over wet aging. But not everybody has dry aged meat. Right. And I know another thing too with dry aging, since we're talking about the, the molds and stuff that, that create that added flavor, more of a nutty or blue cheesy type flavor, the longer you go, the more intense that gets. So there's some people that will, you know, eat a 30 day dry age steak, but you give them a 60 day dry age steak and it's just like, ugh, they, they just don't like it. I mean, it's just like, it's a personal preference thing. It's not bad. I mean, it's just like anything. It's like some people like blue cheese. Some people like Swiss cheese. So the longer you go, and I've seen some of these crazy, you know, uh, long extensive times um, people have done uh, dry age. I mean, I think I saw one that was almost a two year dry age. It was crazy. And uh, they did a full and something like that. You got to do a really big piece of meat. Because another thing with dry aging, you lose a lot of moisture, which means you lose a lot of the meat. So if you start out with a 30-pound hunk of meat, and if you're going to dry age it for 60 to 70 days, you're losing up to 20% of the moisture. And the longer you go, the more moisture you're losing and the smaller it gets. But I've seen some crazy, uh, you know, 200-day, 300-day, you know, 400-day uh, dry age uh, things and it's just it, what you to what point does it not make a difference or it gets to a point where you just can't eat it I've um, seen five how long Kevin dry age. 500 days 500 days wow did you yeah. taste it or did you uh, see a video or it I saw a video yeah I've never seen it for sale anywhere I saw a video where they had a 500 plus, there was a 796, it was something really crazy number, and they had to slice it on a slicing machine. It was just, it was like eating, uh, not beef jerky, but it was like eating a, a salami. Yeah. Because the moisture content had been so much. And I haven't watched it yet, but I know that that new Netflix special, the uh, uh, Chef's Table Barbecue, there's a chef in there that I think one of the things that he serves is a 200-day dry-aged, but he doesn't totally dry age it. And this is one of the things I want to talk about is that there's these other methods of aging that you see out on the internet now. And I know that there's some videos out there and I've seen it and I'm trying to de debunk it. I've got Meathead and Dr. Blonder working on it. If there's any kind of science behind it, but it's these people that they, they age it in butter or um, beef fat where they'll take a steak or a primal and instead of just keeping it in the cryovac the way they wet age it they or dry age it they actually dip it in butter or beef fat and coat it in that fat and let it age and for some reason they think that does something that you can't get with wet aged or dry aged so i'm still trying to figure out what the science could be because as far as I know, the butter and the beef fat aren't going to do anything as far as adding anything to the beef that's already there. Would that be similar to like wet aging, meaning that there's no moisture loss because it's locking in the moisture? That's yeah, what there's I, no moisture loss. 
yeah, there's no moisture loss, uh, and that's I don't know. to me. To me, all all it can be doing is is being exactly being a wet aged, and I don't know if you'd get any kind of different result. Yeah. And I, I think I'm going to do a video I'm, when I have this whole cow processed. I'm going to do some uh, different kind of experiments. And I think that's one of the things I'm going to do. I'm going to do a regular wet aged, compare it to a butter age, like a, just a 30 day, just to see. But from what that, from what I understand the, the, in that Netflix video, he actually dry ages it for like the first 30 days and then coats it in fat and then, you know, ages it the rest of the way in the fat. So do you think there's a benefit and that would be like, you know, semi dry aging and then wet aging it the rest of the way. Do you think it's, it's from what I read at the 28 day mark, you reach maximum tenderization. It will not get any more tender beyond 28 days. However, the additional funk and moisture loss will have a significant change. So if he's aging it for 28, 30 days, he's achieved all the tenderization he's going to get. And beyond that, I don't know. So that's he's, what I'm kind of trying to understand what the benefit would be if you're not developing no those. Yeah, there's no mold or, or no. moisture loss to concentrate the flavor. So I, I'm trying to understand what, you know, and there may be some moisture loss, but just not as, you know, maybe just a smaller percentage than you would get when you dry age it. So I'm trying to, you know, that's what I thought. I'm, I think I'm going to have, you know, Meathead and Dr. Blonder kind of do some tests and try to put some science to it because to me, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I think a lot of people do things like this just because it looks cool, you know, and I think you're just well, wasting good fat and butter. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that thing with the butter and this was a couple of years ago when I first saw it, it was a, you know, a viral video and it's like, it makes absolutely no sense to me, but it, you know, it's that wow factor that people are going for, I guess, you know, um, and people do things for, you know, sometimes just to look cool and you really can't explain it. Cause I've never seen any science I've, I've looked at, I've tried to find any kind of, what it actually would do any different than wet or dry aging. And it, there's nothing out there that I could see. So, so since Kevin's locked up again, hopefully he can come back here in a minute, but um, so there, there are other ways to dry age. And since, like I said, a lot of people are starting to try this at home now, and I'm going to share my screen because there's a couple ways that people can dry age. Like I said, wet aging, you don't really need any kind of special, um, equipment you can just put pretty much put it in your um <clears throat> your own refrigerator in the cryo pack there we go nice there you go okay so and this is i have these actually i have some because i just had a the lady contact me from my dry and she sent me some bags and that's what i'm going to use when i get this uh steer i'm going to take a couple of the subprimals and do some of my own dry aging, but they make these bags, which are a membrane, which allows, um, supposedly allows moisture to exit the bag, but not have anything come into the bag. Have you done any of these kind of, um, use these bags at all, Lloyd? So I first did it seven or eight years ago. Um, and since then I've done it several more times, um, with very, very good results. Um, I found that unless you're doing prime, the results aren't that great. Uh, you get the mahogany glaze on the outside, but you're not getting that super funk that you would get if it was uh, open to the air. Uh, the way the bags work, they'll let um, moisture escape. It'll prevent the bad microbial uh, bacteria to grow on the inside. Um, requires uh, 
good circulation in your refrigerator. So put it on a trivet. Um, and what's really cool about the bags um, is that they'll, they'll maintain about a 60% humidity, which is required for uh, dry-aged uh, uh, meats. They're, they're really good. And I've also used the bags for, gosh, uh, charcuterie, a whole salami, curing, uh, sausages. I, I've used these bags a lot. Yeah, yeah, they make several different kinds. And I, I've, I've, I actually did some last year where I actually did uh, a top sirloin and I did a brisket actually that I did a 45 day uh, brisket. I dry ate a whole, dry aged a whole Packer brisket. How uh, was it? Um, it was good. The only problem I did it for 45 days and I picked a brisket that had a pretty thin f uh, flat section. So I lost a good portion of the flat um, just from it being, you know, dried out and not really usable, but it, 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 it turned out really well. I, um, I liked the fact that it was pretty easy and I had, you know, a garage fridge I could stick it in and I did, you know, I used a, a, a rack with a, a, you know, put it on a pan and a rack. So it actually worked pretty well. I mean, I had no issues, but like you said, you don't get that, um, the funk. you don't, the funk and you don't have to worry about a whole lot of, you know, bad stuff. Cause you know, if I, if you have other things in your refrigerator and then they're in the open air, they can, a lot of the stuff can affect the flavors. And that's one of the things, you know, I, I was watching a couple of videos on some of these big um, companies that that's all they do is dry age. And they have these big, huge rooms with thousands and thousands of hunks of meat of dry age. And that's what they, they want that mold and funk that's in there to affect the meat because they, they put more meat in there every day and they are using that um, funk and mold and, the yeasts that are in the air to flavor the meat. So they, um, they do a little, you know, that, that's their big thing with, with that. And that's what I, you don't get with these bags because you're, you're strictly with this, you're, you're looking for that, um, concentration of the flavors and the tenderization. Those, and, those, those big yeah. companies, uh, that do tons of beef create their own climate. Uh, right. and each one of those, they have, their steak's going to be different than someone else's who has their different, a different kind of microclimate. Um, and when you have like the Omai bags and these small home uh, devices, you know, small refrigerators with humidity control, like the steak ager, um, you don't get, you have, you have a micro microclimate and you're not going to, you're not going to be able to reproduce what these big companies can actually produce. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I got from that is that, you can have a dry aged steak in one restaurant and then they buy it from one purveyor. You go to a different restaurant and they buy it from a separate purveyor that dries a totally different way or different room. And it could be the same time frame and it just tastes totally different. Different technique too with the moisture level. You can control the humidity and the temperature and you can get a different product. So there's also these, things that Kevin kind of touched on it, this, the steak ager where you can buy these little um, refrigerators in different sizes where they, you know, you can actually, you know, they, you can put them in there on their own without any kind of special bag or anything. And I think there's another one that's a higher end one called a steak locker. I've seen this at uh, one of the barbecue restaurant or uh, barbecue stores that I deal with that sells a lot of high end stuff. They're starting to carry these, and this is their actual their their lower line model of the thousand dollar model, and they've actually got some that are you know a lot more expensive than this. Um, so you can buy. Let's just see. 
You know, yeah, there's a uh, German company that makes some real expensive ones, about five or six grand for a home unit. Yeah, let's see what this wow. the, the pro one here is like four grand. So, and that's, they're strictly designed for hanging meat, you know, being able to control the moisture, the, the fans, you know, circulate it just right. So there is, um, you know, these little steak agers, these are cheaper. And I don't know, I think Kingsford actually used to own this company and they spun it off or somebody else bought it off, but you can buy these things and let's see. There's some history there. Steak Asia was their own company. That's where it took over and something happened. Yeah. Okay. So this one's like their medium they, they, size. They developed a product that was terrible. Oh yeah. King, Kingsford did, right? I, I actually, I had it. Yeah, I got a Kingsford steak ager. I got like 45% off, so I thought, what the heck? So I got their top-line model, and they started having such issues, and I didn't get it for months. And when I got it, it was all beat to crap. The box was ripped oh, open. Gosh. I just I, I just sent it back. I never even opened it. I just sent it back, said, give me my money back. So and they went out of business. They went out of business. Sorry, you broke up. My is this company different then, or did he do uh, – that's okay. Yes. So the steak Notice ager break off from Kingsford? Yeah, notice there's no Kingsford on the front door of these things. Kingsford's not involved. It was, okay. They had a bad experience. Yes. It was Steak Ager. Then it went from Steak Ager to Kingsford. Now it's back to Steak Ager. Gotcha. This is the second owner. This is a pretty much a new company. And I've heard people are having good results with these. Okay. Yeah, so their bottom of the line, you know, their, their Pro 20 model here, I guess, is 750. They got a smaller one. Looks like a microwave. It's two fifty, you know, two hundred and sixty bucks. So if you wanted to play around with it, I guess you could get one of these smaller models. And um, my suggestion know. to I have the original steak ager, the really really tiny one for two hundred bucks out of curiosity. I didn't have great results, but one of the things I've noticed um, with size. So if you, for your viewers, if you buy one, look at the internal dimensions and decide what kind of primal you're going to buy. Because you get better results with large primals um, if you don't buy something small. Yeah, and that's that's me too. I, I, I've always heard, and, and a lot of it is to do with how much moisture you're going to lose. You want to buy something that has a lot of, uh, of heft to it because you're going to lose. You'll have to cut off a lot, and you're going to lose some with moisture. Which um, is why we don't do steaks. Right. You can't buy a steak, yeah. Yeah, because you're going to lose too much. And um, so if you're interested in dry aging i would start out i always tell people you know try the umai dry bags you know because mm -hmm. they're easy you don't need to you know special equipment or anything um there's people that will take a regular refrigerator and you know stick a humidifier in there and um you know fans different fans and turn it into their own steak ager i mean they, they'll buy extra equipment and um, things you know to you know so you don't really have to buy one of those you can actually do it there's lots of information online on how to do it but um with great you know, success these people yeah. for the same for the same price you can build your the downside to building your own is only one downside <laughs> if you keep it in your garage where there's a lot of temperature fluctuations okay people have a hard time maintaining their humidity so they end up buying a dehumidifier a humidifier you're trying to control that perfect environment. You have multiple fans going on. So if you can, you can bring it inside your house. Wife will probably get pissed off at you with all that meat smell. I know mine would. If you can bring it inside your house where there's a constant ambient temperature, you're, you're better off. 
and not putting it in your garage unless your garage is heated and has a, a it's insulated. Yeah. So, yeah, I always, you know, like I said, I tell people try it, buy these in my bags or 30 bucks. I think you get, you know, yeah. $10 for a bag and they get three, um, you can get different sizes. So if you get like a bone in primal, there's a different size than a bone out primal. And then there's some that'll fit a brisket or, you know, I, like I said, I did a, a top sirloin that I bought at Costco and it was a choice and it actually turned out pretty good. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, the more fat content, it'll be better because the way the, the fat, you know, kind of, um, will flavor the meat more when it starts that deterioration. But I, I had a pretty good for, for a choice, uh, sirloin. It actually worked out pretty well. Um, the only, and there's different ways to trim it too. I found with, with like uh, something like that, if I'm cutting it into steaks, I don't trim it until I, I cut the steaks individually first and then I trim the steaks. How, how have you ever done it, Lloyd? Have you just trimmed same the way. whole? Yeah. Same, same, same Identical to you. Uh, but I just read something probably 20 minutes before we went on, uh, on live. And it says that if you have a primal and you cut it into steaks, vacuum sealing afterwards is not the best idea. You, it goes bad pretty fast and the funk and the tenderization changes. Hmm. So some of these larger companies, I was just reading, in fact, I think uh, Kevin or, or, or Darren, you sent me the link. They said when they get uh, dry aged meat into their, their, uh, their butcher shop, um, they just keep dry aging it until they're ready to sell it. They won't break it down or vacuum seal it at all because it changes the flavor. You have like a two week window to eat it. So if you are going to do it from the umami bags, and plan on eating it or eating it within two weeks. Gotcha. I'll have to try yeah. that. Like I said, I, I, the only ones I've done were, like I said, were the top sirloin, which I, I really only got maybe 10 steaks out of it. So I ate it pretty quick. And then the brisket, which I cooked all at once. I, that one was a hard one to trim because, you know, especially when you had the smaller, you know, the thinner part of the flat and all that, it was a, it, it was a berry cause I had to really trim the whole thing before I did, you know, cause I was going to cook it whole. And, um, so that was a pain in the butt. Kevin, we'll go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, uh, a little secret about those on uh, my bags, uh, is they're actually reusable. You don't have to throw them away after you use them once. Really? Even if there's funk in them, you wash them out wash them out yeah, yeah okay I've all right done that. Start let's, know. let's talk know. let's talk about since we, we spent a lot of time on that let's talk about other meats to dry age since you know beef's the number one because you know that's what people are used to and people do it a lot and it does there's some things that the reasons why because of the uh, proteins and that are in beef that aren't in others so let's talk about other types of meats um like pork and and lamb and stuff now, I know that I did a little research and Kevin did a little research on there's really not a whole lot out there on dry aging pork, but I do see like some higher end online sale sales places like Allen Brothers and a couple others that will do dry aged heritage breed pork. And Kevin, you said you found out some information on why that is. Um, yeah, <clears throat> you kind of commodity pork can be weeks old by the time you get it. Uh, and what I, I found, I, I read was that you really want pork as fresh as possible when you're gonna start dry aging it. 
Um, that's the, so that's why you see a lot of these heritage breeds being used because they're butchering the animal and starting the dry age process immediately. It's not sitting around in a cryovac for three weeks or a month before you start dry aging it. Now, does dry aging pork have this, a similar result than dry aging beef? Do you would you still get some of those different um, molds and stuff like that to create that you know, funky stuff, or is it mostly for tenderization and consolidation of the flavors? Or people doing it at home, you don't get that old. Uh, it's a little different, but apparently the flavor. I haven't tried it. Uh, but apparently flavor, it's, it does the same sort of thing. It intensifies the flavor and people who do it, I've never seen anyone dislike it. They've all enjoyed it. And I've seen people go 40 days with pork, pork loin. Now, do you get the same type of, um, uh, dried out, you know, skin and all that, and you got to cut it off pretty much. So yeah, it's softer. It's not as hard as the beef. It's easier to trim off, but you still get that and you do have to trim it. Mm -hmm. So your yield's definitely less. Have you tried any dry-aged pork yourself, uh, Lloyd, since you're kosher? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need pork. Kosher, kosher pork? <laughs> That's why I asked Kevin and not, not Lloyd, because I know he's not eating any kind of pork, whether it's dry-aged or... No, I don't eat pork. <laughs> but how about lamb? Because, you know, I don't... I love I just actually, lamb. I like lamb, but it's... I, I don't like imported lamb and i think we've discussed this before i don't like the super gamey lamb i like it's, domestic it's lamb. Miss. it's hit and miss i was at a brazilian restaurant i think i text you guys um last week and for the first time i had lamb picanha which comes off the rub roast with the cap oh my god it was freakishly good it was not gamey extremely mild lamb flavor Amazing. I wonder, if, I wonder if it was uh, grain finished. I, I don't know. Um, Cisco provides the meat, and I don't know where they got their meat yeah. from. It could be a local farm. I don't know. Yeah, because it's amazing. That's that's the biggest difference I've found. I've had, you know, I really stopped buying, you know, any kind of imported lamb because I, I could, you know, eat it, but my family just doesn't like it. I mean, they're just like, eh, this is gross. I don't. It's too gamey. It's and but I bought some from um, Porter Road and actually from Crowd Cow, the domestic. It's hard to find domestic lamb in, a, in your local grocery store or butcher. And it's just because you know there's not a lot of farms in America that are growing lamb. You know, uh, Shepherd's Farm <laughs> is one purveyor. Shepherd's Farm, and um, I've had it's been hit and miss for me. Yeah. Fifteen years ago, that's all you could get was American lamb. Now it's all Australia, New Zealand, and yeah. I don't like the I don't like that imported lamb either i really don't and i and it's because it's so inconsistent yeah like i said that's that's all we ever had until i got that from i you know i said you know i ordered some from crowd cow just said oh, let me try it because it's domestic and people say domestic's different and i was like wow this is so much different it's less gamey and it's because it's you know usually when it's domestic raised that they grain finish it to uh and it knocks down some of that uh gamey flavor so it's bigger too kevin was that your experience the the part oh, yeah. is, is bigger well, yes. well and i know that like up in like kentucky or arkansas area uh barbecue they, they barbecue mutton a lot i mean that's like one of kentucky. their big yeah their biggest regional thing is mutton which is older cheap so it's not you know it's kind of older but uh, from what i understand it's a big thing up there and from people that i know that had it love it 
I've, I've had mutton and I, I enjoyed it. Did you? Was it gamey, Kevin? Was it uh, a real mammy flavor or? So it's kind of hard to tell. I had it in the Caribbean, so it was curried mutton. So oh. it kind of covers up whatever gaminess it would have. <laughs> I guess it was tasty. Possum or mutton? You probably can't tell the difference, right? <laughs> could have been, yeah, could have been rat. You could have eaten. <laughs> oh my god! I got a story about that when I was in Jamaica, an all-inclusive place. They kept telling me I was eating hamburger, and it, didn't, it looked like goat to me because it was, uh, it was not, it was not the color pink that I know. Uh, ground beef to be that's for sure could have and, been horse uh, yeah, it, was, it was probably goat because all you saw was goats you, yeah. you saw goats everywhere in, in, in Jamaica. Jamaica. yeah it's like goats everywhere at least so, it, it tastes like chicken they, tastes eat, like chicken. they eat a lot of goat no, i love I've, goat though i've seen a lot of um i, I haven't seen a lot of dry aged lamb out there and i've not heard about I've done it, it so i've done it you, you've done it yes but how long I, have you gone uh, so I did the, the umami bags. In fact, um, heck, I'll even send you a, a, a link to what I did. So I made like a prosciutto, and I sliced it on my burkle, and uh, it was amazing. And I'm trying to think. I went 35 days. It's been years since I've done it. But you got to like lamb. I mean, you you have to like lamb because the <laughs> intensity was intense. Um, but it was really good. It, it was really good. It was good. It wasn't okay. cooked. No, not at all. It was not cooked. In fact, I'll, I'll try to find the link. It's been it's been freaking years. So, well, if you find it, send it to me, and I'll put it in the description of the podcast so people I'll can actually right find it. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually when I was yeah. looking at on uh, Umai Drive's YouTube channel, they actually have actually have some videos on um, dry aged lamb, and I haven't tried it. Um, so I guess you can do it. I don't. I, know. I just found it. It's been six years. Yeah. I'll send well, it to you right send now. it to me, and I'll put it in the link uh, in the description below so people can do it. But um, so yeah, there's other things people can uh, you know dry age. I mean, and that's just like we were talking about with beef. You got to make sure it's a big enough piece. You're gonna you're gonna lose moisture so that you know you 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 send it to where you know you, you're using something that's gonna allow for that. That um, you're gonna lose some of the moisture, and and so you got to have a big enough piece. So you don't want to do you know, like lamb chops or anything like that. You got to do the whole, you know, primal type uh, of that as well. So let's talk about charcuterie, which is uh, dry, which is dry aging, but there's also some other um, uh, things involved, like curing and all that. So since you're the big charcuterie person, Lloyd, I know you've done a lot of oh yeah, a lot like, salamis and stuff like that. How much uh, different is that than dry aging? You, you know, uh, you still have to have a controlled environment to pull it off. Uh, so let's talk whole muscles, which would be likened to uh, doing a whole primal. Um, so when you're going to um, cure a whole muscle, let's say um, let's say beef tenderloin. That there's there's a good example. I did one. It was an Italian one. That was amazing. Um, you only need salt, but I prefer using uh, uh, cure number two. Prey powder number two, um, which is a, uh, a nitrite and nitrate combination that allows for a time release. So the nitrates turn into nitrites, and it takes a very, very, very long time. But again, you got to control the moisture, uh, the temperature, and the, um, the environment. 
And that's where I use the umami bags also for that. And it works great. Yeah. I know they have some that are specifically sized for charcuterie and they have yes. um, uh, videos. They and were great. Instructions on how to do but, it. And in case people don't know what charcuterie is, because I know it's a fancy French word, but it's, it's usually, you know, salamis, pepperonis, prosciutto, you know, things like that, um, that you're going to, you know, cut up into like a cheese board or I think the, the definition of charcuterie is deli, right? Isn't it? I uh, no, I think, I, oh, God, I don't think so. Uh, Google it. I don't know. I, I think it not. was, I think I looked it up and it, that's I don't know what, what it, what it means. It up right now. It's all but, those, all those, you know, sausages you see hanging from the ceiling and hams yeah. and, and things like that where they're, where they're not just. It does. I looked it up. Charcuterie. It yeah. says delicatessen, French, English is delicatessen. So yeah, so, it's, it's that stuff that we normally see hanging from a, you know, you go into a, an Italian meat market or something, you see all that stuff hanging and it's, you got hams and sausages. So, and So I, I do want to touch on one thing. So with whole mussels, whether it's a ribeye or, or pork, whatever, um, you really don't technically need to use curing salts, nitrites or nitrates. Okay. You don't because it's a whole muscle because the interior of the meat is sterile. Okay. However, when it comes to beef, uh, the advantage of, is, of using uh, Prague powder number two or cure number two is that uh, beef fat tends to go rancid. So if you make it a brujola from the eye of round, you got to cut off all the fat. You could just use salt. But if you got to cut like a ribeye, and I've done ribeyes, I've done tenderloins, I've done whole primal ribeyes, I and mean, I've done the whole thing. Um, you got to use cure number two because the the nitrites and nitrates will prevent the rancidity. In pork, you don't have an issue. You could do a whole ham with just salt and get great results. You don't need the curing salts. When it comes to sausages, of course, you need um, you need the, the curing salts. Gotcha. So, you know, what, what kind of uh, process do you normally go through when you're making charcuterie? Do you normally like grind, you know, you start with uh, just chunks of meat, grind it up. Are we talking like uh, whole muscle or like sausages? Well, like sausages. Let's just, let's do like, you know, a salami and a, and a, or pepperoni or something like that. Well, okay. So if I'm doing a pepperoni, um, let's see. uh, I usually introduce a bacterium also to it, which is not a requirement, but it kind of speeds up the process. But while my grind usually is I'll cut all the meat up. I'll put all the spices in it, and then I grind it. I think I, I get a better result. Um, you don't have to use a bacterium, uh, but the bacterium helps lower the pH down to a proper um, uh, percentage to avoid um, the bad, nasty bacteria that could, that could just uh, damage your product. It'll just mold and nasty. It'll just, it'll just go bad. Do you introduce lactobacillus? Uh, it's, it's a... It's a form of lactobacillus. It's a bacterium 600, I believe, uh, but it's a form of lactobacillus, yes. It's basically to, to, to um, hyperspeed the pH down below 4.2. And it That's gives you it a does. flavor. It has, it has a nice oh, flavor gosh. to it, the tanginess. There's a tang, tang, yes, tang. Yeah. So, so if you go to an old country like Europe, before there was bacteriums, it was kind of hit and miss. Some people got sick, some people didn't get sick. It really is. So what they would do is just throw salt, and there's, there's bacteria in the air, and sometimes the meat would get contaminated with the good bacteria, and you end up with a good product. 
You know, sometimes you cut into it, it's all green and nasty. So it really was hit and miss, where the bacterium gives you consistent results. So the goal is um, to make it safe to eat, you gotta get the AW water percentage below uh, 85, 0.85. That's where nothing will grow. The, the bad mold won't grow. Botulism won't, will not grow. So the introducing a bacterium to it takes the pH below 4.2 within a matter of just a couple of days. And it, then you can start the drying process. But between, if, if you don't use the bacterium, you know, the time it hits a 0.85 for water activity, you could have, have rotten meat already. Yeah. So I use bacterium. So how long do you normally have to do something like that before you start the drying process? Um, so it depends on the meat. So for sausages, you only need, gosh, 24 to 72 hours. That's it. So you've introduced the, the bacterium, you've introduced a, a prey powder number two, we're talking dry curing now, okay? Within three days, you know, you're, you're, you've actually ground up all your meat, you put them all in the casings, you hung them outside to the bloom and for the bacterium to create. So you need an environment of like 71 to 75 degrees, okay? After you hit those temperatures, right, you can tell by the color, and you can actually test the pH. Once it's below 4.2, I believe, then you can start the drawing process. You, gotta, you know, if, if you're not doing it in the umami bags, you gotta put it in, in a, um, a special controlled environment. And usually it's at very high percentages, like 85, 90%. And then as the product starts to lose weight, you start notching down the humidity. Because if you don't start out with a high humidity, you get a thing called hard, uh, case hardening. You guys familiar with case hardening? Uh, you are, Kevin, right? Case hardening? Yeah. That's where yep. the outside gets hard, inside is mushy, and no moisture escapes, and you end up with uh, bad mold. So with traditional dry curing, you're starting out with a very, very high percentage of humidity inside your controlled environment, you know, with humidity, fans, uh, salt, you've got all kinds of lice on in there, and you're, and you're notching the humidity down until the final product reaches a 25 to 30% weight loss, which gives you a, a safe product to eat. And your mommy bags are simple though. You just put it in the damn bag and leave it alone and wait to hit the, the target weight and you're done. Well, that was too, I was, when I was looking at some of their, um, you know, with the my, you know, my bags, they have a whole charcuterie kits. They even have like some spice blends and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they walk you through the whole process so people can, not feel, you know, because I know stuff like that can people start, you know, their eyes start crossing, but uh, it's really easy once you start looking at it. And if, if you buy something like this, that kind of walks you through it and gives you the ability to do it without having special equipment. It's kind of like what you said, though, Lloyd, back in what, you know, a hundred years ago, oh, yeah. they, they, that's what they did. I mean, this is how they preserved meat, you know, um, without any science behind it. They just, you know, uh -oh. that's how their, you know, their grandpa and great grandpa, this is how they you know, did it. They mixed up these spices and threw it in the casing and hung it over the... That, <laughs> and, the they prayed. It, and they prayed that it didn't it, kill them. What they didn't know, so if you think about the salts back then, a lot of natural salts back then that were, were not overly processed had natural nitrites in it too. So they were actually preserving the meat with nitrites and didn't know it. Right. I just sent you a link, uh, Darren, to my blog, and I have a lot of umami things I've done, a lot. From duck salami, duck sausage to prosciutto to sausages, I've I've done it all. So I'm definitely gonna, pretty well. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll definitely put the link to that as well. But um, done a lot of bacon's too. 
only need sodium nitrites though for bacon. Yeah, there's so many things you can do with it, and um, I, I, I'm kind of surprised. You know, I think I'm going to do more more since I'm getting this whole cow, and um, I've got pork belly and stuff in there that I can do. You know, and it's easy to buy that stuff now. If you you know, I know Costco usually carries pork belly, and they usually carry skinless pork belly, which is a lot better to make you know bacon and stuff from than uh, than some of the other stuff. So. I mean, I think I'm going to start playing around making some of my own uh, salamis and stuff like that. It just seems like it's uh, something cool to do and not everybody does. And it's just something, uh, you know, that uh, you can actually be proud of. You, you made something. So, I would uh, start out with bacons. Bacons are so much easy to do. Yeah. You just take, you know, uh, either 0.19 or 0.25% of cured number one. You, you're mixing it with your your salt and your sugars and your coating. And then of course you can add sugars to it, of course, but uh, it's so easy to do. So, so easy to do. And I, I've made plenty of, you know, regular sausages. I've just never gone that extra step to do in the, the curing and, and all that, you know, where you get into the salamis, but I've made plenty of bratwursts and summer sausage and, and um, uh, you know, smoked sausage, Italian mm -hmm. sausage, stuff like that. I, I love, I got a meat grinder. And I, you know, I love to uh, open it up every once in a while and just, buy i'll buy you know I, you don't do this but you get 99 cent pork butts all the time uh you know a lot and um i'll go and buy four or five of them and just stick them in the freezer and then thaw them out and make sausage out of them so and pork butts you know although i don't eat it it's got the perfect um fat ratio that ratio so, yeah. yeah it's perfect it's perfect yeah. it really is the perfect 30 percent yeah it's the perfect vessel for just about everything Except for Jews. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the things why, you know, I kind of wish I could find more domestic lamb because I'd like to do some more with making, uh, you know, mixing, you know, ground lamb with ground beef and making more like the, the gyros and that type of, that, that kind of stuff. Done that. Yeah. I've done that too. So I, I found a, a farm near me that has lamb for sale. Cool. I contacted him last week. Oh, nice. They're 10 miles away. Awesome. That's great. All right, guys. So what else can we dry age? Are we going to talk about dry aging chicken? I don't think so. <laughs> Did you guys want I to saw talk someone dry age salmon. Really? Talk about it, that. It, they, said it, they said it was wonderful. Uh, there's a video on YouTube, a guy who does a lot of different stuff. And uh, I totally expected it to just be terrible. And he did it in the UMI bag. Uh, and he trimmed all the desiccated stuff off of it and fried it up and he said it was unbelievable now i guess if you use those bags you could, you i could, thought it would you, be rotten you could dry age a lot of different things using those bags and as long as you're not getting you're losing like that would be my fear is if you know how thick is the salmon because you know you're going to lose you know how much of it did he lose a quarter to a half of oh. it yeah so it could that gets to a point yeah, where easily it you know, gets to a point where you're paying for a you know five pounds of salmon now it's two and a half pounds and now it's twice as much as what you paid for it, it had to be yeah. a king or something right with a, a huge it had to be a king salmon i don't I, it looked like atlantic to me but okay i don't know what he used well and i guess it depends on how long you age it as well i mean if you age it you know 15 days it's not going to be as bad as if it was 30 or 45 days so he but, did 21 uh, days yeah i think he did 21 wow so, 
something but it, it's something that people can play around with and these you know these bags and stuff like you know these that makes it easier for people to experiment as long as they're safe and not you know oh yeah <laughs> uh, right. that's one of the things with when you're dry aging um or wet aging you got to do it in a refrigerator that keeps it below 41 degrees that's for sure so you can't have a refrigerator sitting out in the garage that's you know going over 40 degrees all the time because if you and I know I actually had a refrigerator out in my garage a couple of years ago that it, it was I couldn't get it under 42 degrees because it was an older one and I wouldn't put anything in it that you know I just, it was just used for drinks so you I was know, gonna so, say soda sodas and beer was it but um you know I really wouldn't put any other kind of meat in it so you got to make sure that if you're going to use a refrigerator for these bags that it can be under 41 degrees, you know, preferably 35 to 37 degrees, I think is where the sweet yeah. spot is. Uh, if you're going to do it, I'd, I'd get one of those uh, things on Amazon that monitor your temperature and your humidity. They're like 30 bucks and it, you, you hook it up to your phone. You can monitor it from anywhere. It hooks up to the internet. Yeah. They're cheap. Yeah couple articles that talk about uh, aging meat inside your refrigerator, the whole primals. And uh, I've never done it, uh, but basically putting a pan of water in there, lots of salt in there, elevated your, your protein on a rack, and uh, you can age. I've never done it. I, I've heard people gotten really good results. Yeah. And like I said, the only thing you got to look out for is what other stuff you have in the refrigerator because it takes on some of that stuff. So if you, you know, got like a bunch of, you know, onions or vegetables and stuff in there. I have buddies that will put blue cheese. They'll, yeah. sur <laughs> they'll, they'll surround their, their protein with different types of cheeses in there. Well, they're also looking to get the, some of that mold and stuff to, yeah. to attach to it as well. So. Did you want to talk about faux aging with fish sauce and sauce? Yeah, we, let, let's talk about that because that's another thing that, um, you know, we, we're not going to go too deep into it because we had talked about this before and we can send them to your website. But faux aging is a thing that um, people use, and especially they use it with sous vide where they actually will take a another element like fish sauce or koji rice that has a certain fungus in it so let's talk about that, Lloyd, because you've done a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I have not done the Koji rice yet, although I've got the product and I've been wanting to do it. I've had the time. Uh, so faux aging. So I first read about faux aging with fish sauce uh, on the eagle at uh, farms. And I'm, I'm following Baldwin and, and Nathan. I can't pronounce his last name. Mythold. How, how do you pronounce it? Mythold? Mirvold, I think. I don't Mirvold, know. I've never heard it pronounced. <laughs> so it's Mana Cuisine. So you see all these, these guys speak freely. So you got Nathan, you got Baldwin, you have all these professional chefs that do a lot of experimenting. What they put in their books, not what they're doing in these farms. And that's where I first heard about it. And, and then on Mana Cuisine, I wrote in Bon Appetit, or one of those magazines in 2013, on how to faux age meat. So I didn't come up with it. I'm just copying these guys. E. Gillard Forms of the 2000s, 2013. And, um, but I've taken it a little step further. Um, I use either fish salt by a company called Red Boat or Red Boat fish sauce. And I like between, um, for fish sauce, 1.75% to 2.25% based on the protein's weight. So if you got a steak uh, and you're using fish salt, 
The steak weighs a thousand grams. I'm using 1%, which is 10 grams, not a lot. Smear it on the steak, vacuum seal it, give it three days and you're ready to go. And it will not uh, impart any kind of fishy flavor because um, if you smell the product, it's very fishy, of course. But what it does is it does a couple different things. It kind of mimics um, the dry aging process to a point. The salts inside the fish sauce or salt will denature the protein strands and make it more tender. It will give it umami, the glutamates. And it's a thing called, I got the word right here, called um, a nucleotide. There's a compound inside between the, uh, the glutamates, the glutamic acid, and the nucleotides that gives it that kind of funk and the umami flavor. But you need three days. It's not like dry running, put some salt on a steak or a chicken, the next day you can, you, can, uh, you can cook it. You need three days for the glutamates to penetrate the protein. And I like uh, fish salt because the application is much easier to do. Uh, but it's amazing. We're talking about umami, bust a beef flavor in your mouth, it's amazing. Um, I don't suggest using regular fish sauce, but elevate your game to uh, Red Boat. And I've tested all five of their products, and, and um, Red Boat's amazing. I have a blog. I'll send you the link, uh, Darren. I love their stuff. I, yeah, oh, I'll, I love I'll Red put, Boat. I'll put a link to uh, to some of your articles on, in the description, too, because yeah, I've amazing. actually done – I've done – the fish just using fish sauce the red boat fish sauce mm -hmm. i've done that faux aging i think i did a week on it on some steaks but i also did you know, i used the koji rice and i mixed it with the fish sauce as well so it actually both of those turned out pretty well uh, the koji i want to say was came out maybe just a little bit different but i don't think you know because koji rice is kind of expensive i mean it was like 17 18 bucks off of Amazon for one little pack and it got me you know, where I could do maybe six steaks with it. And I don't think it really added much to what I could have got just with the fish sauce. So um, I know it's a different Co flavor. I got some friends that do it. Koji yeah. rice is a different thing. Uh, pe most people aren't using it properly. There's a guy in Ohio named Jeremy Umansky who's, if you look, he has a YouTube video, uh, just Google, you know, put it in YouTube. Uh, he's the, he has a book out a few months, it's been out a couple months. And he's the king of Koji. This guy knows what's going it. on, and his book is about Koji. Wait, I think I got it. Wait, wait. I got a book right here. Hey, let me find it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Got the guy right here. Can you see it? Nope. There, you move there it around. is. There you go. I got the book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's the king. And I have not read it yet. I haven't even opened. Wait, I'm opening it. Okay. <laughs> he, he knows. Yeah, he knows I his stuff. So, but I understand, so the koji will actually dehydrate the protein, which is more likened to dry aging and give a different funk than let's say fish sauce. All three flavors are different. My buddy did, he did a fish sauce, um, he did a dry aging and he did the koji. He said all three were great, but each one had a unique flavor to it. Yeah, like I said, the one I did, I actually mixed fish sauce and the koji together because I saw that that was something that, you know, somebody said, well, this is the best because it mixes both of them together. And, um, you know, and I, I only had to, you know, be able to compare it to just the fish sauce itself. And um, I don't know, maybe my palate's not as, um, as big. I just really didn't taste much of a difference in it. And with, actually with my, my kids and my wife didn't really care for it. So. Okay. 
With Koji, though, I've read, haven't done it, you can actually uh, speed up the curing process, too, in the dry, in the dry aging. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. I actually only did it for, I think, it's, yeah, it's a lot shorter process than just using the fish sauce. So, um, from what I did it, anyway. From what, the, the, what I found and for, what I for did. dry it. curing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we touched on just about everything we could talk about on aging and faux aging. Um, I did want to say one last thing, and this oh, is to some of your really? viewers. Well, okay, this, this is a little pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I think Kevin probably, probably knows where I'm going with this. Oh, I uh, know exactly where you're going. <laughs> so with, with um, dry-aged meat, um, and I'm not going to say who started this. Um, I'm trying to find, I wrote an article on it here. Um, and I didn't guys, start it. Did I start it? I can edit this, you know, right? Oh, oh, cool. So people would like to equate. Can you still see me? I lost my freaking screen here. Yes, I can see you. All right. So people like to equate the outer layer. There we go. People like to equate the outer layer of dry aged meat with a pellicle. That's a bunch of ball. It's not a pellicle. Okay. It's, it's a misnomer. And uh, some chef came up with that term for it. And thousands of people were starting to use it. A pellicle is different than what's on the outer layer of a dry-aged steak. We're talking dry-aged meat is desecrated. It's autolysis. It's rotten meat on the outside. Right. There's bacteria. It's des- it's a, a, pe- a pellicle is a growth, right? It's something it is. Like, In fact, yeah. I, ro- I looked up the word. It's um, called protosa. It's a, it's it's a protein. Actual, it's a small, thin membrane made up of protosa, which is used usually for smoked meats. So it's, it's not a pellicle, people, if you're listening, okay? Quit calling <laughs> the outside of that freaking mahogany glaze a pellicle. It's not. So just say yeah, you're going to scrape off the rotten part. Yeah, the, the, the desecrated meat, like, like Kevin just said. It's rotten I always, meat. Before I smoke salmon for gravlax and stuff, I always let it sit out for hours Absolutely. or a day. And then it develops that sticky... Sticky yeah. protein matrix Ortoza, on the outside Ortoza. of s- and smoke grabs onto it like it's yeah. no tomorrow. I do my bacon's that way too. I'll buy beef bellies. I'll do the same thing. Uh, I'll rinse all the crap off, put it in the refrigerator, air circulation. And I'll develop that little tacky stuff on it so all the uh, smoke attaches to it. I bought beef bacon for the first time yesterday, Lloyd. It was unbelievable. Oh, oh you liked it? Good. I was, I was, oh, it was, um, it was excellent. I bought it. I, I was thinking of you. I was like, well, Lloyd loves this stuff. I better try it. And I bought a pack and it was wonderful. Oh, I had some last good. night. What was the company? What was the, do you recall the company? I, it's a Pennsylvania company. I can't remember offhand right now. Okay. It's in the fridge. I, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> tell me later. Tell me later. Okay. Well, all right, guys, I want to thank you for joining me and this has been great and I hope people get something out of it. Make sure you guys uh, check out Lloyd's blog, the kosher dosher. Check out Kevin has a great Facebook group called sous vide food and fun. You can check them out there and um, I'm also in that group and you can also check out they're both in my group and the fire and water cooking uh, Facebook group sous vide barbecue fire and water cooking so check that out as well and you can find this podcast on also my Facebook page and on YouTube besides just being on an audio podcast now so thanks guys for joining me when we'll get, we'll do this again we'll come up with some other subjects that we can sit here and talk about for an hour and people have to listen to us. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I get my internet uh, fixed. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, following the fire and water cooking podcast. And I will see you on the next podcast. 
Well, thanks again for joining us, guys. I want to thank Kevin and uh, Lloyd again for being on. Make sure you check out Umai Dry. They make it really easy for you to age and uh, make uh, charcuterie at home. Check them out in the description below. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and make sure you join us again on the next Fire & Water Cooking Podcast.